morning. Good morning. Um, I got it right this time, Adrian. <laughs> um, yeah, last time I didn't realise I was meant to be doing the Bible reading. So, right. The Bible reading comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Thank you. Thank you, Val. Um, I'm not sure I... Did you manage to get my PowerPoint up, Melody? I didn't let you know it was there. That's okay. It's not a big drama. Uh, we've, been going through the, we've been going through the book of Mark, and for those who are visiting, uh, it's been a good journey so far, and we're going to spend some good time in it. Uh, last week we saw what our greatest need is, and it's uh, the need for our forgiveness of sin. And, and here this morning we, we see Jesus then uh, flow out of that uh, into really a, a, a new, a new, a new, a new uh, movement back to the Sea of Galilee. But I'm going to pray. Um, we're going to have a look at this passage and we're going to see what God has for us. Father God, thank you for this uh, opportunity to come and open your word. Uh, you speak to us through your word, the double-edged sword of the Holy Spirit. And Father God, we come with great confidence. We come knowing that you will speak to us this morning. And Father God, I pray that each of us uh, will be burdened in the heart with uh, what it is to be a church and what it is that you uh, would call a church. And Father God, I pray that you will uh, bless us now as we open your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, soon after the US President Jimmy Carter uh, finished his presidency in 1981, he found himself in a Japanese college giving a speech there. And he thought to ease the tension, he would, uh, he would tell a joke. Now, cross-culturally, telling a joke can be a challenge. Uh, but, uh, so he, he, he said it wasn't a funny joke, but it was relatively short. But when the Japanese interpreter translated the joke much faster than he expected him to do it, and then the entire audience started bursting out laughing like it was the funniest joke they'd ever heard, he kind of knew that something had gone wrong in the translation. He knew it wasn't that funny. He knew it wasn't that short. And he kept pressing the interpreter to find out what he actually said uh, to, the, uh, to the audience. And finally, after much coaxing, the interpreter simply said to him, well, all I said was President Carter told a funny joke, everyone must laugh. Have you ever interpreted church that way? 
You turn up, you listen intently, you watch others, you see what they do, and you effectively say, well, the pastor told a funny story, you must laugh. The singing has started, we must stand now. Uh, Everyone appears to have their lives all together, so we must present ourselves all together. Whatever others are doing, let's just do it. This is the way church is done. Smile when we're told to smile, nod politely, pretend you're listening intently. See, the danger with church is we become so accustomed to the things that we do in church and the way things roll and function that it all becomes about the things we do and we lose sight of who we are. So we laugh when we're meant to laugh. We smile when we're meant to smile. We dress in what we think everyone else would find acceptable to dress in. We close our eyes when the prayer happens. We sit up straight. We stand, we sit, we nod whenever we are meant to. See, a church can so easily be defined by its practices rather than its beliefs. And gradually a church can become a place that is appealing to those who look like us, act like us, have the same morality as us, they perform like us, they have the same socioeconomic uh, status as us. And they are the ones who feel comfortable being amongst us because really that's what church is about in us. See, our passage this morning addresses a problem of church being just like that. And it answers effectively the question, well, what is the church? And the first thing we are confronted with this morning is that Jesus calls an unlikely disciple. Now, if you have your Bibles there, just look at verses uh, 13 and 14. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. See, Jesus has already been kind of turning on its head uh, the religious leader's ideas of Uh, what it is to be a teacher of uh, the Jewish teacher. Last week we saw that the paralytic was uh, brought down through the roof. And to everyone's amazement, Jesus said to him as his first need, Son, your sins are forgiven. And he said, So that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, get up, take your mat and go. So the first need that Jesus said was, He needed his sins forgiven. But the teachers of the law at that point were saying, hang on a minute, there's only one person who can forgive sins and that is God alone. So this guy is either God or he is a blasphemer. He is a sinner. And we saw that there's no place to hide. You cannot sit on the fence on this. Jesus is either God or he is a sinner, which means everything he'd done on the cross is effectively useless. But we saw that he is God and now... He starts to call a disciple. And this is not someone that he would be expected. He's an unlikely disciple. See, Mark specifically identifies this person. Look how, look how specific this is. This is Levi, son of Alphaeus, who was at the tax collector's booth. Now, in that day, people would have known who that was. Oh, him. See, Jesus had left Capernaum. Again, where he had healed the paralytic and he's gone back to the Sea of Galilee. And we're told Levi here is at a tax collector's booth. Now, this is more like a toll collector 
A booth for a tax collector was like a toll collector. It would have been at the intersection of, uh, of trading areas. He would have collected uh, tariffs and, and, and trading uh, taxes, customs duties, imposts. So that people were moving through the area, he would have uh, basically told them, well, this is, what you, uh, this is what you should pay. He would have collected on, the, on behalf of Herod Antipas. But they were renowned for their dishonesty. And they were renowned for, dis, dis, um, dis, um, <coughs> renowned for extorting those who they collected from. They didn't post up regulations. They made false valuations about what... It was like going down to the tip with your, with your bucket load of whatever and they say, oh, yeah, no, that'll cost $100. And you're like, hang on a minute. I've only got a couple of beams of something, maybe, maybe $20. So you don't really know what the regulations are and they made it up and they, they, they were known for just craving more money and they would, that's how they became rich. See, the, the, the leaders, the Jewish leaders had written them off completely because they desired their money over righteousness. See, Levi was one of the most unlikely people a respected Jewish teacher and leader would call to follow them. But Jesus did. Now, a couple of years ago, um, I had a picture up, but you would have heard the name Melissa Caddick. I'm sure you've heard of who she is. She's the one in November 2020, the Australian Securities and Investment Commission uh, raided her house and she disappeared the next day. Uh, basically, they froze her assets because she was using a financial services licence that was under someone else's name. They got wind of it. They froze her assets, raided her property in Dover Heights, where she had a multi-million dollar property. The next day, she just disappeared. They said, oh, she went out running. But she didn't take anything with her, and she disappeared. And then uh, early last year, they found a foot in a shoe, and they did DNA testing, and it was her. But if you haven't heard of her, what they found over this last year as they've done all the investigations is that she took tens of millions of dollars from family, friends, other investors on the premise that she was investing it for them. But she never did. She just funded her lavish lifestyle. She was dishonest. They're yet to find her, only afoot. And they're still investigating and there's a big podcast going on at the moment about her. See, Jesus calls Levi to follow him in his day. It would be like Jesus calling Melissa Caddick to follow him in our day. A very unlikely person. The kind of person that we don't really want in the church, do we? But Levi gets up. He leaves his toll collecting booth, which effectively would give, be, have given up everything uh, in, that, in that way. And he followed Jesus. Then in verse 15, the, sh the scene shifts to an unlikely dinner party. See, no longer is this a case of the Jewish teacher putting his reputation at risk with one person. But suddenly there's a whole dinner party of them, tax collectors and sinners. Have a look at verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house... Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Well, I think, uh, I think the translators of this version, the NIV, have been very, 
very gracious to Jesus. I think they've wanted to protect him somewhat, but there is nothing in the original which says that this was Levi's house. In fact, the more literal translation from the ESV says, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. See, what's happening is Jesus has gone back again to Capernaum and these tax collectors, these sinners, the people that the Jewish leaders wouldn't, like literally had laws about how far they could come near them, otherwise they would be classed as unclean and associating. Now Jesus is filling the house that he was staying in in Capernaum for a dinner party with these people. See, the Jew, if you think of the, the, the parable of the, Samar- the Good Samaritan, the man gets robbed on a road. The Jewish leaders and the priest walk around because they cannot go near him in, in, for fear of becoming uh, associated or becoming unclean in the, in the religious eyes. It's the same kind of thing. Yet here Jesus is welcoming, welcoming them into his home to have a dinner party. And I think there's something very important for us to learn about how we reach out to our community in this. Ceremonially, unclean sinners and tax collectors that the Jewish leaders would not come within a certain distance with, Jesus wants to be a part of. This is like Jesus inviting today the drug dealers, the insurance salespeople, the car salespeople, sorry for anyone who does that, but you've got a reputation. The bankers, I used to be a banker. The politicians to come over for a meal. Particularly the ones that have no interest in religion, have been dishonest with their lives, have been ripping people off. Well, he's more than happy for them to start following him and come over to learn more about what this gospel, this good news is. See, in the religious elite, the Pharisees are indignant. Have a look at verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? I want you to notice they're not asking Jesus directly. They're kind of doing it behind the scenes. Now, I don't know exactly why they're doing that. Perhaps they didn't want him to have any, Jesus to have any credit by talking to them and being seen to them affirming him. Perhaps they were afraid of uh, his wit and his authority and his comebacks to them. Perhaps they just like to work behind the scenes and undermine anyone who had a following to bring the tall poppy down. But see, this whole scenario is unacceptable in the Jewish world. And the elite Jewish teachers, the same teachers who were there when the paralytic was healed and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, are now questioning why he would associate with anyone that possibly ruined his reputation. Why would he make himself unclean in order to bring life? to those who are unclean. So that's not what religion does, is it? Religion basically says, well, you have to meet certain standards of your own volition. 
We might give you a, a, a self-help guide to get there. But once, you're, eh, once you start looking like us, once you start yeah, acting like us, once you've learnt the religious rituals, once you don't look a bit dirty or different, well, maybe then you can come into church. So that's what religion does and that's what's going on here. You're not worthy until you've made something of your life. Well, Jesus turns that on its head. He says, you follow me first and then let's talk about your life. See, he doesn't form a relationship with people based on their sin and that's often what churches and these religious leaders do. We relate to people based on their sin. We go, hmm, what's your level? Where do you sit on the rank of sinners? If you're down here, you might want to try a bit harder. When you get to here, yeah, we might start associating. We relate to people based on their sin. No, Jesus relates to people based on their need. And that turns everything upside down. You down here, you've got greater need. Ah, Jesus comes for you. You are the one which Jesus wants to associate because you have the greatest need. See, and that's what church should be. Relating to people based on their need, not based on their sin. And that is why we have a gospel of God's grace. That is why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, the gospel is not for those who are self-righteous. Not for those who are blind to their sin and their need. It's for those who understand their need. Who have been told by the rest of the world and the, all other religions that you are not worthy. You are not good enough. You are not welcome here. You are the Dalit class of the Indian hierarchy. You are the, you are the street sweepers. You are the worst of the worst. That's what the gospel is about. Those who think they can stand on their own self-righteousness and come to church and look down on everyone else, well, that's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector who went up to the temple to pray that we find in Luke. The tax collector says, hey, the Pharisee looks up to heaven and says, I'm so glad, Lord, that I am not like that tax collector. The tax collector couldn't even look up. He couldn't even move towards the temple. And he beats his breast and he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, who went home righteous that day? Who went home right with God that day? Well, I tell you, it's the one who humbled himself and was able to acknowledge his need. See, Jesus meets us in our need, not ranks us based on our sin. And that's what a church should be doing. That's what all our church, I hope, is on the journey to doing, and I believe we are. And this is why Jesus finishes when he hears them 
talking to his disciples about why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, we're told in verse 17, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I don't think I've shared this from the pulpit, but I've shared it with some of you a couple of years ago. Um, just as the pandemic hit and we're in the throes of lockdowns and it took half a day to get a PCR test. You know, those days where you'd line up for four hours. Uh, and I don't even think there was something open on the weekends and you had to travel quite a distance. In those days, I came down with a sore throat. Now, as my throat, I, I knew, like I'd had it before and I knew what it was. And, uh, and so I went to get a PCR test. It was a Friday afternoon, but the line was so long, I knew that I wouldn't get to the front by the time they closed. So I thought, I'll just wait it out. And by that night, it was like someone had a razor blade and they were cutting my throat. I was in so much pain. And so there's a medical centre down near Anaconda in the centre down where Bunnings is, just down the hill. Uh, they're open till 10pm. So that Friday night, I went down there uh, to get a doctor to look at it. <clears throat> so I go into the waiting room and there's no one in there and I'm like, fantastic. Get to the receptionist, she goes, uh, just before I need to ask you whether you've had any of these symptoms. And I realised why there was no one in the waiting room. And she must have listed every single symptom you could possibly have for every single uh, illness that you could possibly have. Unless I had a broken leg or something, there was no way I was getting in. And she said, well, you can't come in and see a doctor with a sore throat. I went, okay. So what am I meant to do? Well, go and sit in your car and the doctor will call you. I went, okay. Doctor calls me. What's wrong? I've got a sore throat. Well, I can't do anything unless I look at it. She goes, I've got to know if it's bacterial or viral so I know what to give you. I'm like, so I, are you coming out to look at me? No, no, I, you, I can't see you. So here I am at a medical centre and unless I was healthy, I couldn't see the doctor. Imagine a world where you turned up to the emergency at the hospital and says, oh no, until you're well, you can't come in. Triage starts with... Are you healthy? No. Okay, well, when you get healthy, come back again. It's absurd. Imagine a church which said to sinners, Are you righteous? Well, until you get righteous enough, go away and come back again. See, we are the hospital for the spiritually sick. We have the cure right here, the gospel of God's grace. Jesus declares back in chapter 1, he comes proclaiming the good news, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, turn your life around, come towards me and believe the good news. It is as simple as that. It's a gift of God, it's, a, it's grace, a free undeserved gift. Yet we turn our church around from being a hospital for the spiritually sick to just the big placard saying, unless you are healthy, you cannot come in here. Unless you are righteous, you cannot come in here. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
See, our church should be where the outcasts, the forgotten, the rejected, the lonely, the disgraced, the social pariahs find healing for their souls, find hope, find acceptance, find welcome. Now, yes, when you come to Christ, then you come into the church, but it doesn't mean you're not welcome here. It should be where people know that they come when there is something stirring in their soul, when they recognise that there's something not right in their life, when they, when they experience the emptiness that all the other things in the world offer, give them. When the money's never enough, when the relationships don't give them what they need, when they find themselves seeking after all sorts of other treasures, be it the morality, be it... Be, be, be it money, be it whatever it is, when we try to fill that God-shaped hole in our hearts with everything but Jesus. And they finally, as we go out, we say, have you considered Jesus? And then maybe they come here and we say, hang on a minute. Whew. You might want to go home and change. If you could just stand when we stand and sit when we sit. Don't open your eyes when we pray. Don't shake your head. Don't be angry at anyone. Don't get upset when you're hearing things that you don't agree with. Just nod politely. We don't want anyone creating a fuss here. We don't want any mess here. Makes no sense. Jesus is saying this makes no sense. We are... A hospital for the spiritually sick. So what is a church? Well, when you strip it all back, we are all in the same position. And if you haven't realised this, then you have to question. See, we are at the church is filled with saved sinners. Everyone came at some point with the same need. And so because we are saved sinners... We long for other sinners to come and meet Jesus. You see, yes, we may look better now. Yes, we may be more spiritually upright. And yes, we are growing in our faith. And yes, we are becoming holier. That's the promise of the Bible. But we need to meet people in their need, not in their sin. We don't rank them and decide who's welcome here. The greatest need should be the most welcome. The self-righteous, there is no place for any self-righteous in our church or any church. And perhaps this morning you've come and you recognise that, hey, look, I need something. Well, here's the good news, that Jesus says, come and follow me. Wherever you are at, there's no standard you have to meet before you come to him. Because the good news is that he went to die on the cross as your substitute. He was raised again on the third day. And whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life because his perfect life is clothed over you and his death pays the punishment for your sin. And so whatever level of sin that is, it doesn't matter. We all wear the prison greens before him. You will have your sin forgiven. That is your greatest need we saw last week. See, the good news is that when you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are forgiven, you are set free. 
and you are restored in relationship to God. And that is the offer for every human being because every human being is in the same predicament. So let me encourage you, if you have never done that, to do that. And if you'd like to do that, see me after the, uh, after, afterwards. But as a church, let's make sure that we are a place where those with the greatest need find an acceptance and a welcoming and an opportunity to be healed from their spiritual sickness of sin. Let us always be meeting people in their need and not ranking them in their sin. Well, please pray with me. Father God, we do praise you that, <clears throat> that Jesus did not come to to seek the righteous, but sinners, those with the greatest need. Father God, thank you that Jesus offers freedom for the prisoners, uh, forgiveness for those who, who know who they really are. Father, I pray that each of us will never forget that we are sinners, forgiven. We are saved only because of your grace, your perfect gift, your free gift. And that should be outflowing into meeting others in their need. So, Father, as we go into our workplaces, as we go into our schools, as we go into our communities, as we go to the shops, as we go to our sporting teams, as we live in this world, you say, go and make disciples. In your going, make disciples of all nations. And, Father God, we ask that you give us the courage to allow those with the greatest need to meet Jesus with the gospel. And so, Father God, bless us now as we go from here and give us a great week. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.